Hello, and welcome to Tuesday Thanks, presented by Leeds Hospitality Group. I'm your host, Brian Proctor. Join me as we sit down to chat with yet another industry leader. Our guests come from a wide range of professions across the globe. We'll take the time to learn about their journey, where it started, and where they are today. We use this opportunity to allow the guests to thank an individual or individuals that played a key role in their career understand what they learned from the experience and how they have incorporated it into their own development and growth. Gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. Not only can it help your mental well-being, it can also improve your physical health. So join us as we share some great stories, thank a lot of wonderful people, and of course, share some laughs. Let's do this. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Tuesday's Thanks. I'm excited to be joined today by a true legend of the Canadian hospitality industry, Stephen Foster. While now running his own shop at Stephen P. Foster & Associates, Stephen had an amazing 35-year career with ITT Sheraton and then Starwood Hotels and Resorts. While holding very senior-level positions, Stephen has been able to positively impact the next generation of Canadian hoteliers. Stephen, thanks so much for spending some time with me today. I truly appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Brian. Happy to be here. It's always good to connect with the, my fellow Canucks up north, and, and thanks for joining us. Hopefully it's not too cold up there in Toronto these days. It's all right. We're surviving up here. Excellent. So listen, I'm just going to jump right into this. Now, I always ask, how'd you get into the business? I'm obviously envious of you because you graduated from Ryerson, which... Back in my day, I think it was Ryerson Polytechnical something, and now I think it's just Ryerson University, and envious because I was not accepted to get into there, even though I had letters of references from very senior business leaders in Montreal and a couple political folks as well, thanks to my dad, but they still seemed to think my calculus mark was too low, so I couldn't get in, so I'm envious of that. But if you went there for hospitality program, what you know, what prompted you as a young guy to, to do that? How'd you get into it? Well, thanks. Thanks, Brian. That's sad you couldn't get into Ryerson. But I'll tell you, I I go way back to actually, I think your hometown. As a teenager, I was having dinner with my family and a number of hospitality people, actually a guy who ran Shenley Gym, who took our family out to the Western Bonaventure in Montreal. And I think their gourmet restaurant was maybe La Castile. And as a teenager, I dined in this gourmet restaurant that had formality and pomp and circumstance. And when I got my salad, the fork was chilled. When I got my entree, the knife and fork were heated. And they had these domes that they all pulled up at the same time. And I thought, hey, this would be a pretty good business to be in. So that was my first inkling. And then my second inkling was getting summer jobs through high school. My dad was a senior executive in the beer industry. And he helped me get jobs at restaurants and hotels throughout Toronto. And I thought, this is a pretty good business. And consequently, as a result of that, my all my brothers and sisters were great university grads and you know, doing doctors and finance and things like that. And I said, I just want to run bars and restaurants and ended up taking the hospitality program at Ryerson. So that was my start. Wow. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because like you, and I think I've told this story on one of the earlier episodes, 
is my big thing was when my dad took me to the Queen Elizabeth. And while he went and practiced for a speech the next day in the ballroom, he set me up at his company's table at the Beaver Club. Okay. And, and same thing, right? The formality of it, the, just the service levels, the look, the feel, the pomp and circumstance of the whole thing was what got me drawn into it. So interesting. But unlike you, I wasn't smart enough to get into Ryerson, but I'm not bitter at all about that. But so you, you go through Ryerson, which at the time, and I don't know if it's still the premier hospitality program in the country, but at, when I was trying to get in there, you know, it was between Guelph which was more of a food sciences hospitality program and Ryerson phenomenal school for hospitality. What was the first gig once you got out of there? Well, I just wanted to say Ryerson is no longer Ryerson for oh. the record because Egerton Ryerson was not as nice a guy as everyone thought. So now it is Metropolitan Toronto University, just for the record. Oh, I didn't know so that. They renamed it. Yes. So, so I'll say coming out of Ryerson, which we could still reference it and everyone knows the name Ryerson. You know, I ended up really in, in four industries in my career. Started in food and beverage and uh, moved into hospitality with Sheridan and Starwood. Then from there moved into senior living for five years with Rivera and then went to, did my consulting business, but also ended up running long-term care homes during the COVID long-term care in the States probably is more better known as skilled nursing or, or variations of that. So really those four from food and beverage, hospitality, senior living and long-term care, it gave me great perspective into the industries, to people, to how to get from A to B in the quickest route and how to succeed. But to answer your question, my first, first big assignment was getting hired by Cara operations. And they were at that point in the eighties, the largest food service company across Canada, running restaurants, airline catering, airport restaurants, a number of other divisions. And I ended up with them running restaurants in Union Station of all places and, and had a, a great start to a career doing that. And I wanted, I know thanks comes at the end, but, but probably my, my first boss in this company, a fellow named Neil Vosberg is someone I would thank because Neil helped me get, get out of Union Station, head to Halifax to be GM of a group of restaurants out there and started my career. And I was six years with, with Kara in progressive positions. But Neil was my boss, but my mentor and kept me on the straight and narrow. And coincidentally, we've met over the years, about every four or five months we get together for lunch still today. And Neil in Toronto owns a group of pubs called the Duke Pubs and is still uh, instrumental and still checks in and keeps in touch with me. So that's been a great long-term relationship. That's outstanding that you're still connected that way. So Union Station for my listener in Topeka, Kansas is located where? It's located in downtown Toronto. It's the Grand Central Station if you're from New York of uh, Toronto and has been around for a hundred years and uh, is really kind of the center of the city in Toronto. And Union Station houses the local trains, the cross-country trains, et cetera, and probably has about seven, or back then had seven or eight restaurants that Kara managed. Wow, yeah. It's funny, you know, you and I parallel a little bit. I 
when I worked at a place in Montreal, whatever the Montreal train station's called, I can't, it's Central Station yeah, or whatever. Laguerre Central. Yeah. And so I worked at Pinocchio's Pizza, flipping pizzas in there while I was going to school at LaSalle. But so you were in Toronto, then you went to Halifax, and then Manulife Center is where you ended with care. And where's that? That uh, was downtown Toronto, still is downtown Toronto. And again, four or five restaurants in that complex that I ran and decided that I needed a real career. And so I, I wanted to, there's a lot of these upscale restaurants were being replaced by, you know, subway style fast food restaurants. And I'd recently been married in D4 and decided that I needed a career to support a family that probably was more hospitality than food and beverage. And is that what prompted you to look into the hotel segment or did they come looking for you? No, I looked into the hotel segment and embarked on the career of finding a new job at that point. And I ended up with two job offers in the same week. Oh, wow. One was, one was to be food and beverage manager of the Sheridan Center Toronto. And the other was to be a management trainee with Red Lobster Restaurants. Oh, my. So I had a fork in the road and I was just newly married and my wife to be helped me decide because she had allergies to shellfish and thought <laughs> probably, probably the hotel route would be more acceptable. So oh, that's what I took. That's outstanding. I mean, so her <laughs> food allergy created this amazing career that you you've had. That's Absolutely. unbelievable. That's Absolutely. so cool. So a couple of years at the Sheraton Center Toronto as director of food and beverage. And then like yeah. some Canadians, we got the heck out of Canada. Um, right. And you, and of all places, you go down to LA from Toronto. How did that come about to get that move down to LA? Well, when I was working for Cara, they were an amazing company for standards, recipes, processes, and they knew how to make revenue top line and, and bottom line. They were really, really a great training ground. And so going into the Sheridan Center Toronto, which at that point, I think had 10 food and beverage outlets, I just basically applied more discipline and more focus on food and beverage at the Sheridan Center. And lo and behold, revenues jumped pretty dramatically and profits did as well. And, and so I had a successful run there with a great team. It was an area hotel. So the area VP oversaw six or seven Sheratons and the area VP, a guy named Kai Hebranson, he was actually the SVP. He had decided I had a better career elsewhere and put me up for the area director of food and beverage job in Los Angeles. And so I ended up getting that at the, I think it was the end of 1985 and flew out to LA. And as I was flying out, I learned in big corporations is often reorganization. So as I was flying out, they restructured North America and there were no more area food and beverage people. Oh, oh my so, God. So I ended up going to, to be the food and beverage director at the Sheridan Grand. And that was the start of a great Sheridan career. Now the Sheridan Grand LA was what, do you know what property it is now? Is it yeah, well, it was a Marriott. This is the property right downtown on Figueroa. On Figueroa. Uh, across from the Western Bonaventure. And so it opened in time for the 84 Olympics under Bob Foster as the GM. And, uh, and then I think in the late 80s, it converted to a Marriott. 
I'm not sure. I think it's an independent now, but a great location, great building, 474 rooms, and, and just a great team that was built there. And you're bringing up some old ITT Sheraton names with Kai and Bob that I hadn't even thought of in years. <laughs> wow, that's outstanding. So a, a couple years in LA, which, you know, I went down to LA, you know, we mirror each other because when I came down the second time, we were in LA as well. But, yeah. and then how did you go from, and I don't mean, I mean, this is an apt question, I think. You go from being a director of food and beverage at the Sheraton Grand to the GM at the Sheraton Boston. Is that correct? Have I got that right? Well, I took a couple of steps. I was, I was oh, okay. food and beverage director at the Sheraton Grand and hotel manager. Oh, okay. So I got the room side for a year and a half. And then there was an opening in Boston for a hotel manager at the Sheridan Boston. And we were next door to the Western Region offices hosted by Al Thomas and team. And, and Al Thomas had said to me, there's a job in Boston that's hotel manager. You need to go do that. And then that hotel had a reputation for being a tough place to work. It was in the headquarters city of ITT Sheridan. Yep. So anyone who was leading, leading that hotel or part of the leadership team, they had four or 500 consultants at 60 State Street to come and help them, help them run the building. And so anyone in the company who knew the Sheridan Boston said, don't go there. You know, my counterparts and, but Al, Al and Mike Bloomer had said, oh it, it would be a good place for me to go. So I went there to work for Bob McElhaney, who several months after I got there said he's leaving and he was moving to a franchise job. So the GM position was open and I ended up running that hotel for five or six months. Well, they tried to source a GM and they didn't have a great success bringing in a GM. Fred Kleisner was the regional VP or SVP. And, and he ended up after five or six months offering me the position. So of course, I'm very grateful to Mr. Kleisner for that opportunity. And, and that was really, that was my first GM's job, which I really should have been at a 200 room Sheraton in Kansas or Minnesota, but I ended up being a GM of the, the Sheraton Boston. Yeah. That hotel is just, well, A, if you think about, if you think back about all the people who went through ITT Sheraton that grew into Starwood and beyond. I mean, just so many people went through that hotel, whether an executive committee member or a GM. And, and the list of GMs there is pretty legendary as it relates. And, and Fred Kleisner, he actually lived in my hotel in Stanford while his house was being built. And he was very good to me as well. I mean, he was just the epitome of a hotelier, as I, as I call exactly. him. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, who was your hotel manager under you at the Sheraton Boston? Who did you groom? I had, or most of the time, I had Paul Torme. Oh, wow. All these names. That's unbelievable. <laughs> and um, did and great, he did a great job. Now, because you were already in place at the Sheraton Boston as a hotel manager and kind of interim GM there during a time period, did they make you still go to the ITT shrink lab and take all those psychology tests and everything that we all had to? Well, I don't think it was called the shrink lab. Right? <laughs> That's what I called it. But the, the ITT assessment, uh, yeah. yes, I, I had to do that actually to get to my Los Angeles job. Oh, really? So to be the area FMB director. I went through that eight hour testing and which was a great experience and did that to manage to survive that. 
and get the position. So uh, yes, I did that, and and you likewise had that wonderful experience. Yeah, I I thought you know I'll never get promoted after that day. I, I said there's no way I, there's no way I'm coming out of this day with a positive move. But apparently you know because you had to you had to have that to be a GM. I think in ITT shirt and days. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So you're in Boston probably through till about '92, and then you pick up and move the family back to Canada. Is that the? That's right. And, and a couple of things I'll just mention because the uh, obviously it was a great experience to be and an honor to be the GM of the Sheridan in Boston. The biggest challenge we had, and this was both in Boston and in Toronto, was those hotels were not performing well in the early 90s. And uh, both of them had fairly substantial cure clauses with their ownership group. So you had to make a certain adjusted GOP number one of two years or ITT Sheridan paid the difference. And in the example of the prudential ownership of the Sheridan Boston, year one the, the of this clause, the AGOP had to be 10 million. And the first year it was 3.7 million. Oops. And if you didn't make the 10 million the second year, you paid the deficiency for year one and year two. So we had to, in, in the second year, exceed that $10 million number. So there was great stress and great focus, and we had actually great support from Fred and his team, Bob Cotter, and you know, a number of corporate folks who said, we're just going to support this group and make it happen. And we built a team at the property level that we felt could make it happen. And we did, we made it happen. And so it was a great success story and, and certainly proud of the team there. The interesting piece was when I got to 1992, they said, look, you're a Canadian. We need a GM of the Sheridan Center and uh, met life for the owners. And there's a cure clause in 93 and 94. And you've been through this. So they wanted me to go as a GM. And I managed to successfully negotiate that I didn't want to be a GM in the place I'd already worked. But if I was area VP or area GM, it might make sense. And that's how I ended up getting that second jump in my career. And, and that was a great, you know, another great experience. And that was all still with ITT Sheraton at that point, right? Because, it was. Yeah. It was. Yeah. And, and that's... I think the, the leadership had changed from Fred to Richard Hardman. Mm -hmm. And anyway, it was a, it was great. Very, you know, I'm very fortunate. And again, the support I had from the uh, corporate teams and the support within the hotel teams and the regional teams was really amazing. So we had a good run there too. Similar kind of a duplicate of Boston hit the numbers and, and made ourselves much closer to the ownership group, having you know, raised the, the revenues and the profits. And what kind of area were you given with that role there? Was it just Ontario, just the Toronto downtown areas, or were you branching out into the other parts of Canada at that point? Well, I had, I had Montreal, I had Halifax which was one of our properties. And I forget what else I had. I think it may have been, there may have been some franchise involvement there with my area team, Mark Fobert mm. back in the day. So I forget exactly the area. I've been through 18 of the reorganizations and each one of them was a little bit different during North America. So where that one fell in 82, I don't remember. And then, so, so that's throughout the ITT Sheraton days. And then of course, Starwood buys Sheraton. And right. is that when you get bumped up to SVP of operations for the entire country or were you already 
doing that role kind of yeah i think i was i think i ended up as an svp in the mid 90s with ITT Sheridan. So, and then when Starwood bought the Weston and Sheridan, I ended up retaining that title and being one of, I think, 10 SVPs of North America that they started with in 1998. And if memory serves me correctly, you held that role all the way through to the end, correct? Well, define the end. Well, <laughs> the end of my career with no, no, no. Starwood or. Oh, you, you left Starwood in what, 13? No. That's right, 2013. I okay, guess. so you left before the sale. I did. <laughs> you got out while the getting was good. The But realistically, I mean, and, you know, I used the term, I can only imagine, and again, this is for the listener in Topeka, the hotel business in Canada, while the country is huge, same size as the U.S., the hotel business is somewhat small because you've only got certain markets that can afford to have the appropriate number of fully branded upscale hotels type of deal. I can only imagine the amount of Canadian hoteliers that you impacted through your roles up there through the times. I mean, you mentioned the names like Mark Fulbert, you know, David Connor in Montreal now, who's a, mm -hmm. I think he's a VP with Fairmont. All yes. of these, you know, do you ever, you know, have you taken the time up over a cup of coffee and sat back and just said, geez, look, you know, this has been a pretty cool ride with all of that. Oh, it's been great. It's been great. And it's a small network of Canadian hoteliers, uh, past and present. And many of the Canadians went on to great U.S. careers and have been there and, and aren't coming back due to the tax rate in Canada. But no, there's a, there's a great network of Canadians all through North America, actually around the world. So I've, I've been fortunate to keep in touch with many of them. And uh, no, it was a great run. But but you're right, going from Canada, which is kind of small potatoes compared to the U.S., that was a big change. And even in our ITT Sheridan days, my regional team, we were looking after hotels in Dallas and Chicago and throughout North America, we had many assignments. So we really stepped up in terms of geography, revenue, profits, etc., from running the Canadian division. Yeah, I, I just think the diversity of the markets down here also, I mean, you know, just the the different types of convention center hotels versus the resorts versus suburban. And, and yes, there are those properties, again, in Canada, but it's just on a smaller scale. And I mean, you know, I was very fortunate while I was in Canada working. I, you know, I had the good fortune of working at the Westin in Calgary, which is a great property, mm -hmm. the Centre Sheraton in Montreal, world-class Sheraton opened the Sheraton Halifax. But at the same time, I knew in my head, I wanted to get to the States because I just felt there was more opportunity down here. Exactly. Yeah. To continue going. So you have this phenomenal career through the hotel world, right? And the amount, and I use the term legend. I don't use that lightly. I think you're the first one I've used the term legend for <laughs> in this podcast stuff. But in 13, and I'm always fascinated to, to, get into your head as to you made the move to become i think the svp of retirement living with am i pronouncing it correctly rivera that's right yeah yeah how does that come about what's what's the mindset did they come looking for you again did you go looking for them were you looking for a change talk a little bit about that because that's always fascinating to me sure i'll tell you the the departure from starwood was you know if you look at those 1998 the 10 svps 
or 10 regions in Starwood that they started with ended up in 2013, two regions east and west. Mm -hmm. And so the Canadian region was really folded into the eastern U.S. region or western. I forget which one got it, but, but that's what happened. So the positions over time eliminated from Starwood's inception till 2013. So I was departing and I had three months notice that my job was disappearing along with most of my regional team. And just coincidentally, my 93-year-old mother had a fall. She was living alone and had a fall and went into a retirement home in Toronto. She had to go to assisted living. And I, I ended up on the weekend with my brothers and sisters putting her in this home in early 2013. And my PR director, when I was reporting at my morning meeting on Monday, I had to put my mom in a home. My PR director, Cynthia Bond, said, when I told her the home, she said, well, gee, did you phone Kathy Brow, who was with Rivera? Kathy used to be my VP of HR in Starwood years ago, and I knew she was in the senior living business, so I didn't know she was with Rivera. So I called Kathy that day and said, I put my mom in this home. Kathy said, it's a great home, and I'll put in a good word for your mom. And coincidentally, she said, we're looking for an SVP of operations in Rivera. Would you be interested? Oh, wow. And, and I said to her, you know, you left on reorganization 12. I'm leaving on reorganization 17. And I'd be happy to chat with you. So I ended up chatting and got the job. So transition kind of right after I left Starwood, I joined Rivera. So my 94-year-old mother had told all the residents in the home that she got me my first job as a paper boy. And my last job as an SVP of the retirement homes. And oh, that is food, awesome. Then the food's going to get better. So that's my long-winded answer to how did um, I get in senior living. So what what did you find? <clears throat> Obviously, the, the people skills kind of transfer to both segments, right? Because it's kind of hospitality, right? Retirement living. It and is. especially in this world where, you know, population's growing older and older. What was different? What did you have to say, oh, my God, I, I've got to learn this aspect of it? Or was it was it very similar? Well, there's a lot of similarities. You're, if you think about it, you're trying to fill every room, occupy every room at the best possible rate. You want to, you know, keep the residents or customers happy. You want to keep the employees happy, build great teams. So a lot of that was very similar. The one thing that was that was different was obviously the care side of the business. You know, looking after people and having them potentially deteriorate in assisted living or long-term care side of the business so that that was a big learning curve to figure out care and how you administer care and you know how you help them age in place but there were big big similarities between the two industries and you see today a lot of hotel people moving over to that business and back in 2013 the salaries in hospitality were much higher the bonuses were higher than senior living so for some people, it was tough to make the transition, like a GM of a hotel to GM of a home. It was tough, but now it's uh, equalized more. So there is there's great opportunity, and you know, and with with learning about care and learning about aging, is a great career, I think, for hospitality people in senior living. Yeah, I mean, I see it all the time. I mean, I used to get all kinds of recruitment 
calls on on the you know those level positions and i like you said i know a lot of gms that have gone over into there <laughs> i think in the in that segment of the business there's sub segments i think right so there's there's locations that you have to be fully healthy and there's no medical assistance i think and then there's others mm -hmm. that get into that so which which one were you in or or, or am I even right on that? Yeah, you're right. I was in all of them. So the, the retirement living business, which in Canada and in the U.S. is really a private pay business that you fund the full cost of you know room, food and beverage. And if there's care needs, you're funding that versus subsidized living where the government is funding a piece of it for your, your accommodation and your care. Oftentimes, it's it, the government funds it based on your means. Can you afford to pay? But in, in retirement living, which is always referred to as independent living, you have people with no care needs who are just living there to, you know, to have community and events and programming. And then you may have some care needs. Assisted living usually is a dedicated floor or a de dedicated wing in these buildings. And then as people age in place or need more care, they transition sometimes into a wing or sometimes into skilled nursing, you know, in a different building, long-term care, but there's, there's various segments, but most of the industry in retirement living is, is known as independent living. Mm. And so how long did you dabble your toes into that. Just under five years. Five uh, years. Just under five years. And uh, at Rivera and, and worked, uh, initially ran retirement living and had great success with that and ended up taking on the, the long-term care division in Rivera. So collectively I had 175 homes across Canada and, and worked for the CEO, Tom Welder, who was a great guy and ended up being promoted to chief operating officer and and departed in 2017 at the end of 2017 and i would acknowledge tom as being a great leader we didn't see eye to eye especially you know as, as a coo it actually was a layer in the company that wasn't needed because you had great svps of the two divisions but i i departed there and really really enjoyed my time at rivera and i mean was it run just like a hospitality company like each business unit was considered an individual business unit and it kind of had its own GM and appropriate yes. staff within there. Similar. Yep. And a small regional team running various regions across the country. So similar, similar structure and support office that we're raising the bar on standards and processes and very similar, I think, to certainly Sheraton or Starwood. And is it, are they branded? Like, is it, you know, Rivera? Oakville and Rivera, Halifax yeah. type of thing. So it's, yeah. it's got that brand recognition throughout the country. Very similar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Cause I just see so many people going into that side of the business now with, especially during the pandemic and everything going on when the hotels were letting everybody go, yeah. you know, they, they still had that need there. And I mean, the salaries down here, I, that the salaries that were being quoted to me were, I thought extremely high. Yeah. Yeah. They're moving up. Yeah. So, and I mean, you know, cause when you think about it, my first impression when they started calling was, I don't want to work at Dell Webb, you know, Sun City or whatever those things are called, but that's a whole different type of, I guess, retirement community mm -hmm. versus these mm -hmm. individual buildings. Yeah. 
So you you sunset that, and then you start the wonderful Stephen P. Foster and Associates. So what? <laughs> what? Now, you know, I started Leeds Hospitality Group as you know. I can say this because my wife doesn't listen, but to the podcast. But I started Leeds as an excuse to have her think that I was actually still working for a living rather than retiring. But what was the brain thrust behind setting up your own shop? Well, I thought that I thought there was still opportunity, and and whether it's consulting for hotels or for senior living, my goal was to try and contribute and to support the industry, mostly in Canada with with consulting services. So there's a few people I've worked with who we got together on certain jobs to help ownership companies or to asset manage, and and so I had a number of assignments. I also ended up being hired to be an arbitrator or president of a tribunal on an arbitration for the International Chamber of Commerce in New York, which was an amazing experience. Oh, wow. And did that for a number of months along with uh, two uh, counterparts, one who re represented the ownership side and the other who represented a hotel leadership side. And we were dealing with a dispute that, that was very interesting. And so the International Chamber of Commerce gave me a great education on mediation and arbitration. So, so that was exciting. So over the years, I'd done a number of things in that area. And then, but basically my goal has been to invest in senior living, to end up owning and managing a retirement home or group of homes. And I've been kicking the tires on a number of opportunities. So that's, that's still kind of on the radar screen to land something that I can have an ownership stake in because I think there's a big opportunity for reinvention in the senior living business. And so that's what I'm looking at. And I work with a partner out of Vancouver on opportunities and, and hopefully something will materialize. The other thing I did, which was really interesting because I'd run a long-term care division before I was asked by a publicly traded senior living company in Canada to head up their long-term care division for an interim period during COVID. And that was a fascinating experience. They wanted me for three to six months and I ended up staying with them eight months to help navigate through wave two and wave three of COVID. And again, they had 52 properties, I believe, across Canada, mostly in Ontario. And, and that was an amazing experience. That was really under my consulting banner, but I was the EVP of operations for that company. So. That was fascinating learning. So you've still got that entrepreneurial spirit in you that was probably bred during your Cara days, right? So when you were mm -hmm. working those freestanding restaurants, I'm, I just want to come back to this International Chamber of Commerce thing for a second. How do you even get called for that? I mean, you're living in Vancouver or you, you commute between Vancouver and Toronto and they're in New York. How, how does that even come about? That's fascinating. Well, that was... Um... Uh, I ended up as the president of the tribunal because the two sides in the dispute kept bringing forward names to head up the tribunal and each side would reject the other name. And so there was a great debate about who should head this up because the president of the tribunal is a tiebreaker if there's a dispute. And, and I ended up on the list uh, of, you know, I, I think it was the fourth or fifth name that was brought forward for this tribunal. And when I was brought forward, both sides agreed that I could do this and be fair to both parties. So I was just lucky. 
Wow. Well, I, I would say you weren't lucky. I would say years of building a reputation within both countries kind of made you lucky. We'll say you're very kind, but uh, so, so listen, it is Tuesday after all. And I know you've already thanked some people <laughs> like Neil and Bob and Fred Kleisner, and you've brought up some names that is just blowing my mind with the old ITT shirt and days that I, like Paul Torme, I hadn't heard that name or Kai Branson. I hadn't heard that name in many, many years, but I'm going to give you the mic. If there's anyone else you'd like to thank that didn't come up during the stories. And if there's not, that's okay too, but I'm going to turn over the mic to you to, to thank anybody else that wasn't on your list already. Well, thanks Brian. And thanks for inviting me to this podcast. I, I guess the first person I have to thank really is my wife, Jane who supported me throughout this career and helped to raise three kids. Well, she did most of the raising of three kids, our Los Angeles daughter, our Boston son, and our Toronto son. So uh, she did an amazing job and allowed me to, to really enabled me to have this great career. So I, I should acknowledge her. And actually, if I probably thanked her sooner, we'd still be together today. <laughs> but, but anyway, she's done a great job and we're still close and connected. I think the other, you know, I mentioned a few names, John Capioltis, oh, wow. I'm not sure if I mentioned him, but no. you know, he was, he was my regular customer in the, in Mass Bay restaurant and was a regular in the Sheridan Boston, very supportive. And the other names that you've got on all the podcasts, the Jeff Pilates and Denise Calls, and, you know, my ops counterparts who inspired and supported me like Carla Murray and Keith Vieira, Rick Sewell. I mean, there's a whole list of them. I look back over the regional teams I worked with, the Canadian regional team. At one point, it was me and seven women on that regional team. And thank goodness for them, because that's, that's the only way we succeeded. And then my Northeast team. And you know, over the years, I've had so many different areas. But it really goes back to the team and you know, the building the team and aligning as a team. And then as you look at the hotels, the GMs, the many great GMs, I mean, you've had a few... Uh, GM and area people like Vera on your, on your program and Graham and, you know, there's, there's such great leadership who in their own areas or hotels built great leaders. So it was really a pleasure working with them and that's how we succeeded. So, so those, that's where I'd put my thanks. I, I have to think back to my dad. My dad was a corporate executive with the beer company. And so he'd lecture the six kids around the dining room table every Sunday night about business and and he had a philosophy a couple of things that he always said so i thank him although he hasn't been around for 33 years but he said be good be good to the people as you're going up the corporate ladder because you're going to need them when you're coming back down yep and i always thought that was a great line like don't get don't get inflated by your title or your business card be good to everyone and the other one he said and this is i'm sure stolen from someone else, but you have two ears to listen and one mouth to talk, you know, lead with your ears and, and listen and stop talking. So anyway, on that note, I should stop talking because I probably ran over my time. No, but no, I do, no. no. I do no, think no. back all the, all the times over the years that you, you listen to the line staff and listen to the customer and you learn so much just being visible and keeping your ear to the ground. So. That was my learning and it goes back to my dad. Yeah, it's so key. I mean, you've just got to listen to the guests and you've got to listen to the line staff. They're they're 
interacting every day and, and their input is, is key. And, you know, I think the one thing I took away from my dad was he always said, you don't get what you don't ask for. So that's how I just kind of approach things is, you know, I asked when I was at the Sheraton Halifax, I was lucky to work for Hugh Harper, who was the GM there. And uh, there was Bill Shinnick and Ray Hammer and Randy Savage and all these Americans up from ITT Sheraton. And I just said to Hugh after, I guess, two years, I said, I want to get to the States. How do I get to the States? He goes, well, let me make a call. And, you know, he hooked me up with Fred Corso at Sheraton Stanford and got me down to the States. And that's all because you asked for it. And, you know, Amazing. Yeah. what's the worst Amazing. he could have said was, no, you're staying. But, yeah. and Hugh and I still keep in touch to this day. He's retired in outside of Halifax. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so listen, I, you know, this show today is one of the reasons why this show has become such a passion of mine reconnecting with you. I mean, I can't remember the last time you and I spoke or were together mm -hmm. in the old Starwood days, but reconnecting, hearing the names, hearing the story again, it's just so much fun. So I can't thank you enough. And as I've said, you have made such a huge impact on the Canadian hotel industry through your leadership and, and guidance to arguably hundreds of young managers who, as to your point, have gone on globally to do amazing things. So on behalf of the, all the fellow Canadians, all three of them that listen to this show, thank you for that. You always held Canada in a high point of view. You made sure that everybody at Starwood knew about it, what was going on, the successes. You promoted a ton of people, created a lot of great lives for people. So, so thank you for that. So as a leader, you're right up there. So with that, you, I know thank you're you going to, I, I know you're blushing because you're a good humble Canadian. We're going to call it quits for today. And, you know, as I always end every show, you know, if it's Tuesday, people get out there and thank somebody, they're going to be very appreciative of it, but you're also going to feel really good thanking them. So Steve, once again, thanks for reconnecting. Thanks for being on the show. This has been wonderful. Thanks very much, Brian. Appreciate it. you enjoyed the show today and thanks so much for tuning in we really appreciate it if you would like to be a guest on the show so that you can thank someone for their role in your career please reach out to me via our tuesday thanks website at www.tuesdaysthanks.com remember a sincere thank you goes a long way to making someone feel appreciated and can make their day so until next time be well be safe, and please don't be afraid to tell someone thanks. Chat soon.